Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. We're in a series on hearing and listening and uh, from God. So we, our desire really is to, to know God's voice, A. It's hard to hear from God if you don't know God's voice, right? And we see Samuel in this, in this situation today. He doesn't yet know God's voice. Um, and so we want to know God's voice, A, and B, my hope for you, and I hope your hope for you, is that we respond to this morning in the way in which that God is speaking. And we see this story from Samuel this morning. Uh, and it is ironically about Samuel. Most of the books of Samuel flow from this because what does Samuel do? Samuel is the one, that, the prophet that God uses to first anoint Saul as king, and then to anoint David as king. And so the book of Samuel kind of covers that time frame. Um, both books kind of go through that period and then uh, the wars and all the stuff that David did and then also in his son. And so, But it starts with this story of Samuel, but it actually starts with Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. You get the full story. You get the full picture. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 1, you come up to a lady whose name's Hannah, right? And Hannah wants to have a child. And she's distraught. And there's this prophet judge. There's this worker in the temple, and his name is Eli. And Eli sees her. Now, I'll be honest, you may do the same thing. I know I know. Al does this sometimes. Like if I'm preaching a text, if I'm talking a text, or if I'm just reading a text of um, for a Bible study or anything, like I'll go out and see what other people are saying about this. And a lot of the folks that I kept running across kept dogging Eli and saying what a horrible dad he was because we're going to see in a second his sons didn't really make it through too well. I don't see that from Eli. What I see from Eli is the guy who... Uh, may not have been completely, there may have been some issues with Eli, but they weren't the issues it doesn't seem based off the stories that we get from uh, from his dealing with Hannah and also with Samuel. I mean, he seemed to be a guy who knew God's voice and who knew what God was doing because through Eli, God speaks and says, you're going to have this child that you want. In just the very next chapter, in the uh, very next verse or two verses in chapter 1, just a couple verses later, it says that she did conceive. And so, so God speaks through Eli to this woman. She conceives uh, this and eventually gives birth to this child, names him Samuel, and then consecrates him immediately over into the service of God. Right? And so here's Samuel, this child that she was wanting, and she has him and immediately gives him over to God. And he basically lives in the temple. And it talks about her bringing an ephod to him once a year and whatnot. And so um, so this is who Samuel is. This is who Samuel is. And what Israel has done up until this point, if you remember, Moses, Red Sea, God speaking to Moses, goes up on the Temple Mount. We talked about that last week. They cross over and then... They start complaining, you know, uh, as they get into the thing, say, hey, we need something. We Give us some sort of leadership. We don't really love the leadership we have. Once Moses passed on and Aaron took over, we don't really like the leadership we have. Fine, I'll give you judges. So there were different judges throughout the country. And if you read the book of Judges, you read about some of them. 
Um, and they, there wasn't like a central location. They just kind of were wherever. Like, for instance, Samson was one of them. And, you know, we got the great story of Samson get, pushing the pillars down and destroying the people who were worshiping in ways that weren't right. There was this prophetic sense to him. But it wasn't like there was a central place. Um, but they were these judges that were spread out. And, and there's a lot of speculation and, and he probably some truth to the fact that Eli was probably one of these judges being there in the temple and doing what he was doing or being there in the place that wasn't a temple at the time, but being there in the place where they were worshiping God, where the Ark of the Covenant was, that he was likely a judge and that Samuel was kind of trained up and following in that. But God had given this prophetic thing to him where he was able to speak the word of God. And so he did to Hannah. And then Eli, Eli raises Samuel up in this. And then in verse 3, we see some very, um, I mean, chapter 3, we see some very uh, um, uh, clear responses from Eli to Samuel saying, hey, I, I think this is God speaking to you. You need to listen to this. And so we have those two pictures, right? In the middle, in chapter 2, you get the story of Eli's sons. And these guys were not good. But as happened in this time, the family did what the family did, right? So whatever the dad did, that's what the sons did as far as a, a job within the community. And so if Eli's job was this, his sons were supposed to be helping the people administer worship to God. And, and so you read in chapter 2 where his sons are doing this, but they're using it for their own good. So. It even says, hey, you know, what the priests did, how the priests got their food is while the meat was boiling for the sacrifice, they would just randomly stick a, a fork in there and whatever came out was theirs to eat. And, and it talks about the sons weren't really down with that. So they wanted to slice off some of the choice part before they boiled it. So they knew what they were getting, not some blind, like I'm just going to trust that God's going to give me what, my, what I need in this stabbing randomly into boiling water and hope I get something good out there. And it talks about them sleeping with women in, in adulterous relationships who were there supposed to be working in the temple. And it's like they set out on their mission to break all ten commandments. In fact, if you read through chapter 2, you can see about seven or eight of them being broken. And these were Eli's sons. But it's almost as if God gives them a little bit of a second chance here with Samuel. Because now Samuel's been given over. And Eli's training him. Now, Eli was the same dad who trained his sons, and his sons didn't take. And for parents who have a child who didn't necessarily go the way you wanted it to go, you know that that can be tough. I mean, I, I have, a, I have a, a story even in my own family where my granddad was a great man. And he was a pastor. He was faithful. He pastored the same small church in Glendale, South Carolina for something like 38 years and never wavered from that. His heart broke for people who didn't yet know Jesus. I remember watching him many, many times talk about um, the day that he accepted Christ into uh, South Street Pentecostal Holiness Church in Greenwood, I think, South something. 
uh, he'd be able to tell you, and then he'd start crying as he was telling you, you know, and it, it was 18 years old and it was a moving experience for him and it changed him. And he married my grandmother not too long after she played the um, squeeze box for the church, uh, you know, music, and he would carry her accordion out to the car. And that was kind of how they started courting and dating. And then he married her and 50. Four years later, she passed away, and every time I ever saw him talk about her from that day until the day he died, which was about seven years later, he wept every time. He loved his wife, and he loved God, and he and you see that. And he had my father. That was his firstborn son, and my dad became a pastor and did things and raised his children that way. He had two other kids that went in a different path, and I saw the heartbreak for him and saw the hurt. And he always wanted his kids to be in church. And for him, he would get weepy when everybody would come on Father's Day or his birthday or whatever it was. There was some occasion where all the family would come and his all three of his kids would be there. It brought him to emotion. And a lot of that was because he knew that they weren't walking the way they needed to walk. And Eli finds himself here, right? He's got these sons who are just running roughshod over the law of God. And they're not paying attention. They're not listening to God, they don't even care about it. And that's what we get in verse, in chapter 2. In chapter 3, it starts out and says the boy, Samuel, was serving in the church. And one night he laid down and he heard the voice. And so he goes and he says, well, let me, let me, let me stop. Let me go back one step because the first thing I wanted to bring out of this text, I and mean, even though we didn't read chapter two, but what we can gather from Eli's sons is this one very important, very important point. And it is that you can worship God. You can even lead people in worship of God, which is what Eli's sons were doing and not know God. It is very easy to worship God, to know the routine. How hard is it to walk into a church building or some spiritual, some church setting, whether it's a building or in a home or whatever, sit there and do the things that everybody else is doing and walk out the door and not really know God. And we see that from Eli's sons. They're leading people in worship while they are not being obedient. They don't even know God. So you can worship God, but not know God. And really the heart of hearing and listening to and hearing from God, the number one thing that we really want to do is have a relationship with God. Like that's primary. It's not the voice. It's not the whatever. It's the relationship with God. That is what each of us should be trying to attain or cultivate or continue to cultivate is this relationship with our creator. So that when he speaks, we know, right? But here's the thing. You don't always know, even when you want to know, right? Because we enter into chapter 3, and Samuel's working in the temple. And from what we can gather, I mean, he's a young boy. He wants to do what he's, what's right and what he's supposed to do. Like, we, he wants to do that. So God speaks to him when he lays down one night. He says, Samuel. He runs and says, what you want? He hears it again. He gets up, goes to Eli. What you want, Eli? says, nothing. Go lay back down. I want to sleep is what I want. I understand that because Amelia comes running in my room in the middle of the night. I want to sleep. Go back to bed. It is two in the morning like it was last night. 
Uh, and this is Eli. He's like, what are you talking about? He comes up a third time and says, Eli, what, uh, what do you want? I heard you call my name again. Now for the third time. He's like, I don't want anything. Go away. Actually, hang on. I think what's happening is you're hearing the voice of God. Go and when he calls you again, just say, here I am, God. I'm listening. Your servant hears. Speak to me. Second thing we see from this is that you can hear God speaking and not know his voice. Right? We can hear God speaking and not recognize his voice. Or we can see God moving and not recognize his hand. However, however it applies to our life, it is possible to hear that and not know his voice. We see this in the New Testament, right? The day Jesus was baptized. And we're going to talk about this story in a couple of weeks. The day Jesus was baptized. And we get the story, right, from a couple different Gospels. The dove comes down, he hears the voice. But what does it say to people who, who are around there heard? They heard thunder. Like it says, the voice came and says, this is my son. He pleases me. Hear his voice. What, you know, but the people whose eyes were closed and whose ears were shut heard thunder. Possible to hear God's voice and not know it. We see that from, from this story. Samuel's hearing God's voice and he doesn't yet know what it is. He didn't yet have that relationship. So, so that's actually the third thing really falls on the heels of that. Is that sometimes a mentor, a guide, a pastor, a friend can help us recognize God's voice, can help us learn to recognize his voice and to respond to it. That's what Samuel needed here. He needed somebody who had been further down the road. And we know Eli had been down that road, right? Because Eli spoke at least once. Did God speak through Eli to Hannah, Samuel's mom? So we know that Eli knew God's voice. And so he helped him. There are some of you listening online and there are some people in here who know what it is to hear God's voice and listen to God's voice. And you can help people who aren't, who aren't yet quite as far down the road as you are um, to hear and to know God's voice. You don't have to have a position to know that. You don't have to be Eli who basically runs the worship center there. God has gifted all of us with his Holy Spirit in Romans. I say it all the time. But Paul wrote in Romans that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in each one of us. And if that is true, what God has done for you, or what God has done to you, he also intends to do through you. What God has blessed you with, he's given for you to be a blessing to others. And sometimes that's just simple knowledge of what it is to hear his voice. But there are some people in here who are like, I don't know what God's voice sounds like. There's some people listening online. I have no clue what God's voice sounds like. I want to know. I'm trying to know. I don't know. I need help. Well, God can help you. You can pray for wisdom, right? What did Solomon ask for? Give me wisdom, right? And God granted that. You can pray for wisdom, and God will be faithful to that. But some of the wisdom God's given you is in people in your life already who do know. But here is the interesting kicker. Right? Samuel could have had all that. Samuel could have heard God's voice and not known it. 
He could have had a mentor or some person in his life who could who could help walk in that road. Say, hey, I think this is God. Here's how you respond. He could have had both those things. He could have heard it, and he could have had somebody tell him how to respond to it. But what did he have to do? He had to respond to it, right? It wasn't enough that Eli just heard God's voice. It wasn't enough that Eli just had somebody who could, I mean, excuse me, that Samuel just heard God's voice. And it wasn't enough that Samuel had Eli who could help him discern that that's what it was and kind of give him some guidance on how to respond. But we have to respond to God's calling. So the fourth point of this is we must come before God. As, and I think, for me, this is the most important thing for us. Because as I've talked with people over the course of my life, I'm 43 years old. I've been in ministry for 20 of those years. And if I've talked to people, and even as I look back on my own life, where I know God was speaking, if we come to that place arrogant, without the humility... Willie gave me a bottle that was already open. I don't know what he's doing. Give me the coronavirus. But if we come to that place with arrogance, say, that's not what God's telling me to do, right? That's not right. Like, I know better. I have a better path. God, that doesn't make sense. Why in the world would you do that? That makes no sense whatsoever, right? Think of the story of Gideon that we've recently talked about, right? God says, get it, get it down. It's too big. Your army's too big. You got to get it down. Gideon had to come with humility saying, you're God. I'm not. What, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. But what if Gideon said, no, I've been to military school. I know what's, <laughs> I know some good strategy, God. I don't know what you're talking about. I think this actually may not be you, God, because you're telling me something crazy. I'm just going to listen to something different. If we come to that place with arrogance, if we come to that place with an idea that we know everything, if we come to that place with this thought in our head that says, nope, because you haven't worked this way before, so this is ridiculous, I'm not doing it, it's going to be real hard for God to work through you, Right? been real hard for God to work through Samuel and to speak through Samuel what he had to tell Eli if Samuel had just said, no, nah, I want to go on to sleep. I'm not going to respond to this voice. Because this is a bad word. Now you're trying to tell me, go to Eli and tell him that you're basically going to curse him for the rest of his life and his family for generations. That's what you want to tell me? Nah, I'm going to make something else up. Now, I grew up in a church um, that believed that God still moved, and I believe this to be true, and I hope we all believe this, but they would actually intentionally try to practice it weekly, whether the Spirit of God was moving or not. They said that God is moving and does move like he did um, back then, and I believe that, but sometimes if he wasn't moving, they would make sure he moved, okay? I don't know a better way to say that. Roy, do you know a better way to say that? Okay, that's good enough. And, and so there would be like times where people would say, I got a prophecy, right? And I remember growing up in a youth group and kids, man, we're, kids are dumb. Some of y'all work with kids, but man, they got good hearts and they want to do right. They need somebody to lead them and to guide them. They need an Eli in their life and sometimes they don't have it. And so they just left to kind of do whatever. And I remember watching kids 
that I was growing up with in like high school or whatever, and they would prophesy, right? And their view of prophecy was telling the future, which is not at all prophecy, right? The prophets of the Bible were people who spoke the word of God to the people of God. And sometimes it was a hard word, and it was rarely uh, foretelling the future. A lot of it was like, hey, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Quit doing what you're not supposed to be doing. That was what a prophet had to do a lot of times, which is what God was doing through Samuel here. And I would hear kids say, prophesied stuff that, you know, was just like, it was just the good stuff, right? It wasn't like, hey, you're really blowing it here. You need to get better. It was like, oh, you're going to marry the boy that you want to marry? You know, it's just silly stuff, right? And I saw that. I, I never in church, in a church that, that touted this, I never once saw a prophecy that didn't speak good things into someone's life or things that they thought were good. I think what Samuel had to say to Eli, what God had to say to Eli was good. Because it's, hey, get your house in order because it's really messing up worship. And that was good. But I can see where Samuel would be scared because he's like, God, this ain't good. Let me tell him something good, actually. I'm I'm not going to come with humility and say what you want me to say. I'm going to give him, I'm going to, I'm going to make this sound a little better, make it sound a little sweeter, throw a little kindness in there, God, because this is a pretty harsh word. But we must come before God as humble and obedient servants if we want to hear what he is saying. If we want to know what God is saying, we have to come with that spirit of Samuel who says, I'm listening, whatever you want to tell me. And then get that thing that maybe you didn't want to hear. Maybe it is exactly what you want to hear. And those are great times, right? And sometimes it's not. And you're like, God, we, we got to move forward, you know? What did Eli do? This was beautiful, right? Eli could have very easily, as a man who was trying to raise this boy who's not his son in the ways of God, he could have very easily said, what? He could have said, uh, Samuel, this is a good try, um, but let's try again. Because that's not, that can't be from God. That wasn't Eli's response. What did Eli Eli say? Eli basically comes to the end of the book of Job, right? In the book of Job, Job's friends, they've been telling him everything. Job's finally kind of broken down and he's kind of losing a little bit. Jehu comes in there and has his own thing. And then the whirlwind comes and God speaks. At the end of it, it comes up and says, whatever you want, you're God, right? That's the posture Eli takes. Eli. Says, it is the Lord. This is verse 18, the second half of verse 18. He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. Not, mm, Samuel, good one. Let's try it again next time. Maybe, maybe tonight he'll speak to you. You know, actually hear appropriately, but last night you were, you were messing up. Eli actually models to Samuel the humility. He says, whatever, he's God. How am I going to say that's wrong? And he's speaking through you. And we read at the beginning of chapter 3, what? That the word of God wasn't present in that time, right? The very beginning of chapter 3 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. How exciting that may have been for Eli to know that God was speaking again to the people of Israel through Samuel. And we see this happen through the rest of Samuel's life, that God speaks to Samuel and Samuel is obedient. 
But it didn't start out that way, right? It started out with him not even knowing what God's voice sounded like. And he needed someone in his life to mentor him, to help him. And that mentor actually showed him, you got to come to God with humility. Not with your own agenda. Not with your own ideas. Not with your own preconceived set of um, beliefs or notions. But God, what do you want me to know? I'm an open book. I'm a clean slate, right? What do you want to transcribe on my heart? What is it that you have for me? I think that has been the number one blocker for folks who come to me and say, I want to hear the word of God. Sometimes we just have to go with humility and say, what we think is not always what God is doing or God is saying. And we have to come with an open mind to say, God, what is it that you are saying and doing? You want me to do what with my life? You want our church to do what? You want me and my family to do, are you kidding me? (laughs) No. Okay, God, whatever you want us to do. We want to be obedient. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. That was what Samuel wanted. That's what Samuel did. He was guided by Eli. He wanted to hear the word of God. He responded with humility, and God spoke to him through his whole life. So if you're in that place this morning where you want to know God's voice and you're not really certain, Start there. Start with the humility in your heart to say, God, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Speak to me. I'm listening. But you may want to find a mentor who can kind of help you. Part of doing that is to cultivate this relationship with God, however. To have this relationship with God so that we do hear God's voice and and begin to know it. Um, A.W. Tozer said this when he was talking about saints who knew and heard God's voice. He said this, he said, I venture to suggest that one of the vital qualities which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. They acquired the lifelong habit of spiritual response. Like Samuel, they acquired a lifelong habit of spiritual response. Not listening and responding to God when it was good stuff, you know, stuff we wanted, but just a continual response to God. They were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Receptivity is not a single thing. It is a compound, rather a blending of several elements within the soul. It is an infinity for a bend towards a sympathetic response to and a desire to have. It may be increased by exercise or destroyed by neglect. It is a gift of God indeed but one which must be recognized and cultivated as any other gift is if it is to realize the purpose for which it was given. The idea of spiritual cultivation and exercise so dear to the saints of old has now no place in our total religious picture. It is too slow and too common. We now demand glamour and fast-flowing dramatic action. Imagine if he said that today. Like, this was a while ago. Imagine if he was to live the day. We have been trying to apply machine age methods to our relationship with God. We read our chapter, have our short devotion, and rush away, hoping to make up for our deep inward bankruptcy by attending another gospel meeting or listening to another thrilling story told by a religious adventurer lately returned from afar. It will require a determined heart and more than a little courage. To wrench ourselves, that is the biggest thing in this book, the biblical ways 
of spiritual receptivity. That is the biggest thing in this book of First Samuel chapter 3. In this, in this chapter within this book of Samuel's receptivity to what God was saying, even though the very first time he spoke to Samuel, it was tough. He had to go now to his mentor and give him a hard word. But Samuel was receptive, and um, God spoke and continued to speak through his life. Uh, I, I, I strongly believe that if that's a desire for us, that we have to begin to cultivate spiritual receptivity. And, and the great news is if you are doing that, continue to do that. Because the danger, the good news is that it continues. And it's, it, but just like A.W. Tozer says, the idea of spiritual cultivation exercise was so dear to saints of old, it now has no uh, place. Uh, sorry, I'm going uh, maybe. Oh, here when he says it may be increased by exercise or destroyed by neglect. That is a very scary but true statement. As we begin to exercise our spiritual receptivity, hear from God and respond, hear from God and respond, hear from God and respond, it grows and grows and grows. And as we begin to neglect it, we hear it less and less and less. May we be a group of people who exercise that muscle of hearing from God. And if you're new to that, find someone who can help mentor you in that in that place and towards that space of hearing from God. It may be that uh, maybe in this room or maybe even more likely online that we have people who are hearing this that are beginning to wanting to respond to God for the very first time. And if that is you uh, here, we can have conversation afterwards. If, if you're online, you can click the live prayer button and pray with somebody or send an, an email to us or visit us on mosaiceasily.org and we can start a conversation and get more information and, uh, and begin to go down that path and down that road uh, to knowing what it is to experience the kingdom of God in real and unique ways. So with that on our hearts and with that on our minds, let's, let us pray. God, we are thankful. We love you. And we uh, know that you have given us all that we need. God, would you forgive us for the times that we ignore your voice? Would you give us wisdom? If we're not yet hearing, God, would you give us wisdom to know what it is to hear from you and to know your voice? God, would you move in our hearts? God, we know that what you've done to us, you intend to do through us, and we've often ignored that. We're hoarded it just for ourselves. God, would you give us wisdom on how you want to use those gifts and those blessings that you've given us to uh, display your kingdom to those around us? God, Jesus, would you give us wisdom? Would you, through your spirit, move our hearts this morning, we pray. In your name, amen.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.